I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me any more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Last month, the whole Christian world stopped and went to the open tomb and remembered the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, as we think about that, it's the same thing as with our mothers, basically. It's, that's not the only time we think about Jesus or we think about His resurrection, but it may be a uh, reminder to us that we need to think about the resurrection more, about His resurrection, for sure. Jesus rose from the dead. And what a tremendous statement that is and what a, what a tremendous event that was and how important and necessary and vital it is to us to know that Jesus actually got up out of the grave after three days, as he promised, and walked in this flesh again on this earth. He did something no one has ever done before. That uh, he, he came forth from the grave after being dead for three days, came under his own power and the power of his Father, Jesus, his father in heaven. Now, the subject of the resurrection itself, and when we talk about resurrection, we mean exactly what the word says, rising up again from the dead, standing up, basically. Anastasis is the word, Greek word, and it means to get up. So it's talking about, when we use the term resurrection, it's talking about rising from the dead. And as a point of fact and interest, the uh, Christian community, and those who are believers in the Bible, Old and New Testament alike, together, are the ones who think about the resurrection, and in all likelihood are the only ones who think about the resurrection in these terms. There are those who believe in transmigration, and those who believe that somehow spirits prevail and pass from one world into the next but when we talk about the resurrection and we talk about the body getting out of the grave, we're talking about something that is limited to the Bible. This book tells us about the resurrection and it describes for us how it's going to happen and what happens. And it tells us that there is going to be a general resurrection in addition to the fact that there was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there were, when Jesus came to this earth, there were two factions in Judaism that had split over the subject of the resurrection. One of the groups was called the Pharisees, and the other group was called the Sadducees. Now, there was another group among the Jews called the Essenes, and they were in the wilderness, basically, and they, they didn't come into any prominent figure, didn't figure any prominently in the in the religion of Jesus' day, but they were there. However, nothing is said about them in the New Testament, basically, but just the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the Pharisees and Sadducees divided over the subject of resurrection. One group said there's going to be a rising up. The individual who goes into the grave is going to come back. And the other said, no, there's not going to be a resurrection. Pharisees said there was. Sadducees said there was not. Now, to be very fair about this, 
When we talk about the resurrection and what the Old Testament says, I know of four texts in the Old Testament that speak of the dead rising again. And I want to want to refer you to those or refer these to you when we talk about the resurrection. In Job chapter 19, or, uh, pardon me, in Job, yes, Job chapter 19 and verse 26, the text says, and this is Job speaking, he says, Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Now that's a statement. There's another text in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, when David, after he had lost the child that he and Bathsheba had, when they were not in wedlock, and they had, uh, they had uh, committed adultery, and then God took the small child, the boy, and after the boy died, David made the statement, he said, He cannot come to me, but I will go to him. So he was speaking of a, of a resurrection, basically, in that context. And then in Isaiah chapter 26 at verse 19, the, uh, the writer Isaiah said that, that the, uh, the, your men shall rise. You see, Isaiah chapter 26 at verse 19. He said, your dead men shall live together with my dead body shall they arise. So that's another text. And then the last text that, I'm, that at least I'm familiar with is in the book of Hosea in chapter 13 and at verse 14 I believe it is when Hosea has reference to the uh, resurrection and he makes a statement like this he said the, uh, I will ransom them from the power of the grave I will redeem them from death O death where is your plagues O grave I will be your destruction repentance shall be hid from mine eyes so those four texts actually speak, as far as I know, speak to a bodily resurrection, to the person getting up out of the grave and coming back from the dead. Now, in Jesus' day, there was the, we've already mentioned the fact that there was a division among the Pharisees and Sadducees. And on one occasion, the Sadducees had confronted Jesus, and they asked him the question. Now, they... They were not referring to these texts in, in particular. But Jesus did, as, as he referred to them, he did refer to the fact that they were ignorant of the Scriptures. If they had known the Scriptures or the power of God, they would have understood the resurrection. But they, they uh, presented a conundrum to Jesus. They said that a, a woman married one of seven brothers, and one of the brothers died, and, and then she remarried the next one according to the leave right law of remarriage. That's, that's what they were told to do. The brother, if, if the wife of the first brother died, if the, if the brother of the wife died, then the next brother was supposed to take the wife, and they passed her through seven times. And then they said, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? And Jesus, that's when Jesus said, you'd err not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Then he mentioned the fact that God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now that does not say anything about the type of resurrection, and it doesn't say anything about how the, how the individuals are going to come back, but it does say that, that when a person dies, 
They do not go out of existence. Their body, like Job said, after my skin, worms will destroy this body. Yet he said, in my flesh, I shall see God. So Jesus simply referred to the fact that individuals, when they die, do not disappear from existence. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Okay. Now, in that framework then, the, uh, the controversy, as far as Jesus was concerned, was not about whether or not there would be one, but the Sadducees were trying to say it cannot be because this is the problem that would, would arise because of it. Okay. That controversy continued. It continued after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul had to confront it. In Acts chapter 23, he was taken into custody, Paul was, when he was preaching in Jerusalem. And while he was in custody, this subject came up. The subject of the resurrection came up. And the subject came up because he said part of them that were talking to him about it were Sadducees, and part were Pharisees. And so it says in, in Acts chapter 23, 23, verse 6, Paul cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. Okay. Later on, when Paul was talking to Agrippa, he, he told Agrippa, he said, is, is it a thing that should be thought incredible with you that God would raise the dead? And this is in the book of Acts in chapter 26 and at verse 8. So basically, the resurrection of the dead was a subject that they were aware of, that they were talking about, and it had divided their community. Jesus often referred to and alluded to, let's start, let's start with that, he alluded to the fact that he was going to rise from the dead. He was going to come back. That there would be a resurrection. And so as a point to be made and as, a, as an effort in order to convince people that it was possible, I think, is why it happened. Jesus actually brought people back from the dead to show, demonstrate how it's done and when it can be done or if it could be done. So we read it like a text in Luke chapter 7 verse 22. He answered them that John's disciples came to him and said, Are you the one that should come? And so Jesus answered them and he said, Go your way, tell John what things you've seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The dead are raised. So now Jesus is raising the dead. And we have examples of him raising the dead. So... Is there such a thing as a resurrection from the dead? Jesus said, I've, I've been raising the dead. And we, we uh, know that in one instance, Jesus raised the widow of Nain's son in Luke chapter 7. The text tells us that it came to pass that when he went into a city called Nain, 
Many of the disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto you, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. So, in addition to this, Jesus had raised the uh, daughter of Jairus. She was a 12-year-old girl. And when she died, Jesus had raised her. And then in John chapter 11, there was a fellow by the name of Nicodemus, in the beginning of verse 43, when Nicodemus had died, that was he was the brother of Mary and Martha, and uh, these sisters had sent for Jesus because Lazarus had died. And when Jesus came, when he came to the tomb, he went to the tomb where, where Lazarus had been laid after he'd been prepared for burial. They'd placed him in the tomb. The sisters had placed him in the tomb. And the Mary said, don't, don't go in because he's been dead for four days. And he's starting to decompose. He said he stinks. Don't go in. And Jesus stood at the open mouth of the tomb. And the text says he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound both hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. All right. There is, Jesus said, there is such a thing as a resurrection. And in his controversy with the Pharisees and Sadducees, he introduced an argument to show that that was the case. He said there will be a resurrection. And he showed us how that would take place. He showed the people at that time. In addition to this, Jesus said that he himself was going to die. He would go into the tomb three days and that he would return. He would rise again. In John chapter 2 at verse 19, here's a significant text. Now it doesn't say he's going to come back as a spirit. He says that he's going to come back in his body. Let's understand what the resurrection is. The resurrection is the individual re-entering the body that they've left and coming back in that body that they left in. That's the resurrection. That's what they understood. The widow of Nain's son rose up in the body that he died in. Lazarus came back in the body he died in. Jairus' daughter rose up in the body she died in. So, when we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about a person coming back in the flesh. In the flesh. So Jesus said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, then said the Jews, Forty-six years was this, there was this temple in building, and you will rear it up in three days. But he spoke of the temple of his body. So he's telling them he's going to come back, he's going to rise from the dead, come back from the dead. Now, he, he did this on three different occasions, basically. 
in addition to John chapter 2. He did this on three different occasions in his journey from this life into the next when he took his disciples aside and told them specifically that he was going to die, he was going to be tortured, he was going to be tormented, he was going to be uh, abused, he was going to be scourged, and he was going to be killed. And he said, in three days, I'm going to rise again. Let's look at these th- three of these texts, and they're found in different texts in the New Testament, but let's, let's just look at those that we find in the book of Mark in chapter 8. Mark 8, verse 31 says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now that's, that's obvious, that's plain. Mark chapter 9, verse 31 is the second time. He taught His disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill Him and after that He is killed he shall rise the third day. He keeps re- he refers to himself all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He refers to himself as the Son of Man, almost in the third person. He's talking about himself. In Mark chapter 10, at verse 32 through 34, he says, They were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, shall scourge him, shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now what is he saying? He's saying that he's going to be scourged, tormented, Punished, beaten, killed. And the third day he's going to get up. I'm not sure, as I said earlier, you know, about mothers, remembering mothers, that we remember our mothers not only once a year, which is nice, but we remember them at different times. When we think about Jesus, we, we should think about him because he's worth more to us than our mothers, even our own mothers. We should think about him more than we do our, our own physical parents. He said, he that loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. So we think about Jesus and we probably should be thinking more about the resurrection of Jesus. And my thought at this point is, did Jesus actually get out of that grave? If you and a party of people we're buried we're to bury a loved one, your mother, your father, your son, or daughter, and take them to a crypt, above ground crypt, and deposit them in the crypt and seal the door, and then three days later come back. Would you expect that crypt to be empty or full? And then open the door and walk in and the coffin be empty. That would be something, wouldn't it? Well, that's what happened with Jesus. They came, the stone was rolled back, and they walked in, and the grave clothes were there. We can read about it in Matthew 28, the first few verses. 
We can read about it in Luke 24. We can read about it in Mark chapter 16 and John chapter 20. That these, at least three women came and they walked into that open tomb and Jesus was not there. And there were a couple of young men standing by and said, why seek him the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. And then they told them later, he's going to go before you into Galilee. Now, what were they saying? What, what happened? Jesus said, I'm going to rise again the third day. In Luke chapter 24, after he rose, he took his disciples apart. And he said unto them in Luke 24, verse 46, he says, Thus is it written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Now, let's get something very clear here. When it said that he rose from the dead, it meant that Jesus came back into the body that he laid down in the tomb. He re-entered that body, and that body, he stood up in that body and left the tomb. So sometimes people are asking the question, is there such a thing as a bodily resurrection? If it's not a bodily resurrection, it's not a resurrection. It's not a resurrection. The fact that the spirit transmigrates in some people's minds, that's not a resurrection. That's not even considered to be a resurrection. A resurrection is when the physical body is re-inhabited by the individual that lived in it and the body stands up again, rises. Now we know that's the case. We know that Jesus actually came forth from the grave in the body that he took into the grave. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? You say, well, how do, we, how do we know it wasn't just a spirit? Well, Jesus, after he rose, he came into the group of disciples that were gathered together, his disciples. He came into that group and he was meeting with them. Luke chapter 24 is the text that I'm going to refer to. Verse 36 through 42, he was there. And they, they, they were afraid, and they said, it's a spirit. He's a spirit. It's a spirit. And he said, uh, wait a minute. He said, touch me. Handle me. He said, a spirit does not have flesh and bones. So Jesus had flesh and bones. What had happened? Jesus arose. In addition to that, he said, do you have any meat? And so they gave him some bread and they gave, him, they gave him a piece of fish, and they gave him a honeycomb. And he ate with them. He was in a physical body. He was there in a physical body. In John chapter 20, on another occasion, when all these men were gathered together again, Jesus appeared to them, but one man was absent. And that man was named Thomas. So when they told Thomas, they said, hey, Jesus has arisen. And, uh, they, and Thomas said, you know, unless I can put my fingers in the prints of the nails in his hand and thrust my hand in his side, what's he saying? He's saying, I don't believe in a resurrection unless I see the body. I have to see the body. And so Jesus appeared to him again, all of them. And Thomas put his fingers in his, the nail prints of his hand and thrust his hand inside and then fell down on his knees and said, 
my Lord and my God. He believed. He believed that Jesus had resurrected because he touched the body. Now the apostles said this later on when they, they had uh, witnessed the resurrection of Christ. Uh, they, they made the statement, as a matter of fact, John made the statement for them over in the book of 1 John uh, when he talked about how his hands had handled the word of life. 1 John chapter 1, at verse 2, he says, The life was manifested, we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which is with the Father. And he said, uh, Which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you may have fellowship with us. They had actually seen Jesus and had actually touched Him, touched His body, because He had, re- he had resurrected. Now, when Peter began to preach on the day of Pentecost, these, uh, these people understood exactly what he was saying when he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus. The reason I, I press this is, because when we talk about believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have, to, we have to frame it within the context of the fact that he actually re-entered the body that went into the grave and brought the body back. That was the resurrection. His resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, he was talking about the fact that they had killed Jesus. In verse 22, he said, You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Then he, then, he, then he quoted from Psalms chapter 16. And part of that quotation was at verse 26. He said, My heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad, my flesh shall rest in hope. You will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. So he was not going to decompose. He was not going to see corruption. But Peter was making the argument, he's saying, Jesus has risen. And in order for them to understand that Jesus had risen, he's quoting Psalms chapter 16. And then he makes another quotation, goes back over, and and he, he talks about in Psalms chapter 89 that God had sworn an oath to David. And at verse 30 he says, in this same context of Acts chapter 2, he says, being a prophet, talking about David, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ. His soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Now, Peter made his argument stronger there. He said, that Jesus had done this. He said, but look, he said, it was not David. David did not rise because he said, the tabernacle of David is still with you. Verse 29, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. He's both dead and buried. His sepulcher is with us unto this day. What he was challenging them to do was go into the sepulcher of David and see the bones of David. 
They were there. And that would be proof that David had not resurrected. As long as David's body was still in that tomb, he had not resurrected. But when Jesus was not in the tomb, his body was not in the tomb, that was proof positive that Jesus had resurrected. He had come back in the flesh. That's the resurrection. That's what he's talking about when he talks about the resurrection. He's not talking about a spiritual going on into eternity. He's talking about that Jesus came back in that body and rose again. Now, belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, belief in that, now not just the fact that we think, well, yes, Jesus lives somewhere in heaven. Jesus arose in the body that He took into the grave. He arose. Now that body was changed when He went back into heaven, but He arose. Now, that, the reason the resurrection is so important to us and so vital is that it, that it actually impacts our life on this earth with God in very, very vital ways. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 tells us that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. I do not know that He's the Son of God until I believe that He rose from the dead. And when we talk about Him rising from the dead, we talk about the fact that He got up in the flesh and came out of that grave in the body that He took into the grave. The resurrection is woven in the very fabric of our faith in Christ and in the very fabric of the gospel message. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 10 at verse 9. He said, With the mouth man makes confession that Jesus is the Christ, and with the heart he believes that he raised him from the dead. So you make the confession with your mouth, and then with your heart you believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. When the apostles first started preaching the gospel, the very first thing they did, as we read in Acts chapter 2, was to inform the world that Jesus Christ resurrected. And in Acts chapter 4 verse 10, when Peter and John were before a council of Jews, leaders in the Jewish economy, they'd called Peter and John before them and said, you can't keep preaching this about Jesus. You can't keep trying to bring His blood down upon our heads. And what, Jesus, what Peter said was, Be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you have crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Even by Him, this man stands here before you whole. And He was pointing to a man that was born lame that they had healed. But he made his point, Peter made his point, that is that he had raised him, that is God had raised Jesus from the dead. And when all the apostles stood before these same men, Peter made the statement again in Acts chapter 5 verse 30, he said, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. It's in the fabric of the gospel. You cannot preach the gospel of Jesus Christ without preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It's imperative. The building of the church depended upon the resurrection. Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, when he, when, uh, he asked Peter and, and uh, James and John who the men say he was, then Peter said, you're the Christ. And uh, Jesus said, I say unto you also, you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell, that's Hades, that's the underworld. He said, you can, you can kill me, but I'm coming back. I think about that, I think about another situation that, that's not like this at all, but it's some, something like this. Jesus said, I, I'm coming back. You're going to kill me, but I'm coming back. When Douglas MacArthur on March 11th, 1942, left Corregidor on the Philippine Islands, and he left in a PT boat, escaped because the Japanese forces were overwhelming the Philippine Islands. He made the promise. He said, I will return. Three years later, he came back. But when Jesus said, I'll return, three days later, he was back. He was back in three days. And when we believe that, when we, when we understand that, then we understand that he is capable of doing what he said he was going to do. The kingdom came when Jesus stepped out of the grave and into the light of the day. On that day, Jesus was exalted to his throne as the king. It's recorded for us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 22. This says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places? far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. That happened when God raised him from the dead. He became the king, king of glory. The resurrection of Jesus touches our lives, touches our personal lives in so many vital ways. So we can look at the resurrection of Christ and say, Lord, we know that you are the king of the universe. We know that you are the Christ, the coming Christ. You, you sat upon the throne with David because you rose from the dead. You came back like you said you were going to. You rose again. But it means something to me when I talk about the resurrection of Christ because it touches my life. It infuses power in my life. The resurrection does. When Paul was talking about how he would like to be part of Jesus Christ and be part of the ministry of the preaching of the cross, he said he wanted to know him and the power of his resurrection. My friend, when you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you believe in the power that he can visit upon you because of his resurrection. The power that he can bring into your heart. The resurrection of Jesus Christ forms a bond. It forges a bond between us and Jesus. You know, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 says, Know ye not that so many of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into death. Therefore, being buried with him in baptism into death, we are also raised with him together to walk in innocent life. We actually go into the grave with Jesus and we participate in his resurrection when we come up out of the waters of baptism. It forges a bond between us 
The resurrection of Jesus does. And we go through the waters of baptism and come up out of those waters completely connected to Jesus. Why? Because of his resurrection. It forms the gospel message. You can't preach the gospel message. You can't hear the gospel message if you're hearing a message and it's not about the resurrection. You're not hearing the gospel. Paul said in Romans in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which, uh, by which also you received, by which also in which wherein you stand, and by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Then he said, I delivered unto you. Now he's talking about the gospel. I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some have fallen asleep. After that He was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Last of all, He was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the framework of the gospel. So when we hear the gospel, we're hearing the message of the gospel. And the gospel touches us in terms of salvation. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-two. The resurrection touches us in the form of our salvation. And it fosters hope. It, uh, it begets us unto a lively hope, Paul told Titus in Titus 1 and verse 3. We're begotten unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter 1 3 says the same thing. Now, as we draw close to the open grave, we understand the promise of the resurrection. We understand that the resurrection has more impact on us than just simply the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And I don't want to use that term simply the fact indiscriminately, but beyond the fact that Jesus himself rose from the dead, the impact he has upon us in so many ways, but in a very vital way is, he tells us that the way he was raised is the way we're going to be raised. Okay, what does that mean? It means, my friends, that when you die and your body disappears, your spirit lives on, just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when, when Jesus told the Sadducees he's the God of the living. You're not going to disappear. You're not going to just vanish altogether. Your body, as Job said, worms will destroy the skin, but in my flesh I will see God. Your body, you're going to be reunited, reunited with the body you put in the grave. You're coming back in your body. Now I know many of us are going to say, I don't want this one. <laughs> I don't like this one. You're coming back in the body you put in the grave, just like Jesus came back in the body he put in the grave. It will be changed after we are resurrected. But unless your body comes back, you're not going to be resurrected. That's the point. Because that is the resurrection. Your body's coming back because your spirit is going to be reunited. Well, I know that people have been buried at sea, have been eaten by the fishes. 
their bodies have. And I know that bodies that go into the grave have been corrupted and they eventually will disintegrate. And I also know that when people are cremated that the ashes fly up and they're gone and they're turned into ashes. I'm not sure that anything, any material thing, disappears in this world anyway. But besides that, I believe, because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that He can put my body back together. My body, the one I take to the grave. Yes, I want another one. Yes, I want one that's perfected. And of course, that if you read 1 Corinthians 15, that was the question these folks had. They said, well, what body will we come back with? Well, obviously, you're going to come back with the body you left with. But what's going to happen to it? It will be changed into a glorious body like His. But you're going to come back with the one you left with. That's what's going to happen. Now, this is the promise that He's promised us, even eternal life. That's what we're told. This, he's, he's promised us a resurrection. And we're going to come back. Now, what I'm going to say is, is this, and what the Bible says, not just what I say. What I'm going to say is this. Marvel not. Marvel not because... The dead will come, marvel not because the dead are going to come back and they are going to come back. The righteous will come back unto life eternal, but the wicked will come back unto damnation. The dead are going to rise again. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. The dead are going to come back. The dead are going to be resurrected. All of the dead, good and bad, are going to be resurrected. And if we're coming back, if we're coming back, and maybe I shouldn't say if, we are coming back. I want to be on the good side. I want to be on the side where God says, I, I claim you and I want you with me. I want you to be with me. The dead shall hear his voice. They that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation, they that have done good under the resurrection of life. We're going to be resurrected. This is the only book. I've, I've been talking a lot this morning about the resurrection. I, I want to reemphasize this. This is the only book that gives you any information about a resurrection and a life after death. The only book. I would recommend strongly that you read it, that you absorb it, that you believe it, and especially that you believe that Jesus Christ came back from the dead, a bodily resurrection. That's the kind you're going to have. Everybody's going to have. Hopefully, we will have the right resurrection. We'll be on the right side when we come back. God help you in your effort to do that very thing.